Welcome to On the Journey Conversations. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. WMU's Compassion Ministries offer you the opportunity to directly help suffering people throughout the world. Together, we can support vulnerable children and the families that care for them. Today, you're going to hear the story of how God moved in Diane Parker's life, and she stepped out by faith to provide a safe, stable Christian home for foster children. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Diane, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're here. Thank you, Sandy. I'm so glad to be here. It's always fun to see you. I wanted to talk with you today because I want to hear your story about being a foster parent. Tell me how that happened. Okay, I'm glad to tell this because it's such a special story to me. I was (laughs) serving on a local college campus in Baptist Collegiate Ministry at Southwestern Oklahoma State University in Weatherford, and four college students and I went on a mission trip to Haiti. And there we worked with International Mission Board volunteers, John and Edna Payne, who were originally from Kentucky and were in Haiti at that time. They were working in a little mountain village in the jungles above Port-au-Prince called Payant, and they were taking care of 65 orphan children. 65! Whose parents had been killed by Hurricane Allen. They had found foster homes all on that mountain in the jungles with families who took these children and kept them as part of their family. Once a year, they brought all those children together for a week of camp. So we were there to lead the camp and to assist John and Edna however we could. We just fell in love with those children, and we found out that it was really hard to leave them. That was a surprise to us, kind of. I can imagine. We just went with a task in mind, but we didn't know it was going to touch our hearts. You know. So when I got back to the United States, I began to notice things that I had not ever noticed before about how there was a need for foster care in the United States. There were news stories and magazine articles and bulletin inserts about those needs. And I don't know if I just hadn't noticed them or if they hadn't been there, but right then they were just glaring to me. And I thought, if I could love those children in Haiti, why couldn't I just love children here in the United States also who needed a foster home? I knew that had to be from God because it had never been on my mental radar in my entire life. I didn't even know if they would allow single women to be foster parents. It's a lot more common now for single people to do fostering. But back in those days, it was kind of unusual. So I just did the things I knew to do. I just took one step at a time, and I prayed, and I talked to friends who encouraged me. Then I wrote a letter to the Baptist Children's Homes of Oklahoma and asked them if I could be a foster parent. They responded positively, so I completed the paperwork, and I was interviewed and went to training and had the home study, and I became a licensed foster home. So with much help from a great social worker and my family and friends and my church family at First Baptist Weatherford, I started a journey which I had not expected to be in my life, and I needed a lot of help. When I first started, I didn't even know that diapers came in different sizes. (laughs) So we were starting with the basics. One of the most helpful things for me, though, was to have people I trusted who did not think that any question was stupid. That's a help. I I could ask, and they were always eager to help me. When I was a new mother, I couldn't believe that's a comfort to have. (laughs) 
in the next six years, I had two elementary age girls in my home who spent one Christmas and one Thanksgiving with me. Then I did foster care for three newborns, one at a time, of wow. course. And uh, one All while you're a campus minister? Yes. Yes. Wow. And one preschooler who lived in my home for two years. And then when I came here to Arkansas in 1993 to work with the collegiate ministry team of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, I just needed to wait and see what was going to happen. I soon realized that I was going to be traveling so much as the missions consultant for collegiate ministry that I wouldn't be able to do foster care then, but I still felt called to it. So I knew that I would do it in retirement. I was able to retire a couple of years early, and I became a licensed foster care home here in Arkansas early in 2015. During these years, I had a three-year-old child who was in what they call emergency care. He had just been taken out of his home at 9 p.m. at night. He just needed a safe place and a bed for the night. And then I had six children that stayed in respite care with me, which is you're doing a short-term care for other foster families. And then sometimes I had them more than once. I had those six children, not at the same time, but sometimes multiple times. And then there was a little baby named Lynn who came to my home at eight weeks old from the NICU at Arkansas Children's Hospital, where she had been since birth because of multiple health issues. And she was in my home for 15 months, and she grew and got stronger. And she's now in an adoptive home here in the area. Her parents have asked me to stay involved in her life. So I get to pick her up once a week to spend a few hours with her. She's now a healthy, energetic six-year-old, and she calls me Minnie. Diane, this is so amazing. This is this is where I learned the story was with Lynn. I had no idea of all those other experiences that you had. But here you are retired, and at what age did you take on this eight-week-old baby? Okay, she was born in 2015, and I got her then, so I was 65. That's not something most 65-year-olds would take on. Right, that's right. 65 years old single, and you're going to care for an eight-week-old baby that just came out of ICU. It was scary, and I could never have done it by myself. I can the courage that that took. It was just a calling, so I just walk into it, you know, and you know that the help is going to be there. I had learned that from my time in Oklahoma when I was younger, that people have such a heart for helping if they know the needs. I could never have been able to do any of this without what I call my village. It really does take a lot of people, and not all people are called to do the same thing. Not everyone's called to foster, and not everyone's called to adopt, but everyone is capable of doing something to help. Well, I remember when we adopted Hannah, she didn't sleep through the night for three years, and Frank and I could take turns. What did you do? (laughs) Well, I had a group of friends, eight women, who just said, we want to help. So we called them the aunties. One of them would say, I'm coming over and you go take a nap. Or one had me bring Lynn to her once a week for two hours. And she said, you go do anything you want to. Run errands, drink coffee, sleep. Don't come back for two hours. So Those are the kind of things that make a difference. Plus, I had to learn to ask for help 
as a single woman all my life, I've not ever really wanted to ask for help. So I had to learn to ask for help. What I learned, though, is that people want to help. But if they feel comfortable around you, they'll tell you what they don't feel comfortable with. I don't think I would have been asking for help. I think I would have been screaming for help. (laughs) Yes, sometimes I did. (laughs) One morning I woke up with vertigo. I called the aunties and they came to the rescue and one of their husbands drove me to the doctor. So they involved their entire family too. Even back in Oklahoma, there were so many people that helped like a retired women's Sunday school class said, we want to buy your little baby her first Easter outfit. They had so much fun doing that. College students came to my home and helped, and friends offered babysitting. There were people who, as I've said before, they answer questions on a regular basis. (laughs) The first gift that I received here in Arkansas as a foster parent, uh, before I even had any children in my home, was a little spring scene that hangs on the door with little bunnies in it that a woman from Park Hill Baptist Church in North Little Rock, where I am a member, gave me. And she came by my house and she just said, I just wanted to give you this for your foster time. It seemed like a small gesture probably to some people, but to me it was a great encouragement because it just said that I was not alone and that there were people who would be helping and praying or wanted to be prayers for us. So uh, sometimes friends brought, just brought me a Dr. Pepper from Sonic or um, (laughs) other things that they knew that I liked, you know, that would just be a little bit of a help in the days. You've given me a lot of good ideas of ways to help others. That is incredible. So Lynn comes to you at eight weeks and you don't know. It could be eight weeks and four days. How did you deal with that? Well, you always know that it's open-ended, and it is uncertain sometimes. One thing that I always say about foster care and other parents would say the same thing, you know, is that people sometimes have this idea that everything's really a neat experience, but sometimes it can get messy, you know, or it's hard. And the hardest thing is that you don't know what the final outcome is going to be. You don't know what it's going to be. You don't know when it's going to be. You don't know how Lynn is going to respond. Right. So she stayed with you for 15 months. So she's 17 months old at that time, almost to a toddler. Yes. So she knows you as mom. Yes. So how did that transition happen? Well, she visited there a weekend before. She spent a weekend with that family. And then we had seen them a couple of other times just in a private home setting. And then she went to stay there. Just within a couple of weeks, well, they asked me to start seeing her. I already knew this was going to happen. They had told me they wanted me to stay involved. But I got to start spending time with her. So it kind of made the transition easier for both of us, I think. Because, you know, there's sadness involved, even though you know that she's not going to be with you. You cannot care for a little infant or any child, really, without loving them. Well, Lynn was your whole life for two years. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, silence. I mean, I can't imagine going from a house of a toddler, an emerging toddler, to silence. That silence must have been so heartbreaking. 
Yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. I gave myself about a two or three week break. And then I started just doing some short term respite care for some other foster mm-hmm. families that I knew. And so it was hard. Friends were really great to, you know, come around and be encouraging. Well, here you are grieving, even though you know this is God's plan and this is, this is good, this is good for Lynn. You are grieving. Right, you are. And uh, one thing that I, I've heard other foster parents say, too, is that every child deserves a parent whose heart will break when they leave. Because that means that they have given and been loved during all that time. Oh, that's beautiful. So I like that idea, and that's something that kept me going as well, you know. So was Lynn the longest-term child that you had in your care? In Oklahoma, I had a little boy for two years, but she was the longest one here in Arkansas. So you kind of knew what was coming, and... That helped prepare you. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Another thing that someone did for us that was just so uh, helpful, and it helped me even later, was that a friend crocheted a really beautiful prayer cover or throw. And she told me that with each stitch, she prayed for the doctors and the judges and the caseworkers and the future families or the biological family and any other need that we had as well as myself. So. I asked her if it was okay for me to keep that and not send it with Lynn because she made it for both of us. She said yes, and that can remind you that I continue to pray for you. So that meant a lot to me, too. a beautiful gift. Mm -hmm. It was. It was. You've given me some great ideas of how individuals can help and did help you. What can the church do? Well, I mentioned, I think, a few ways that the church, people or groups in the church helped me. And one of the things that was most helpful to me was the Sunday school class where I would take the babies when I had them to the newborn department. They would just welcome them and want to know about them and check on them and uh, treated them as if they were a regular member of the church who was going to be there, not a member, but a part of the church who was going to be there their entire lives, you know. And that meant a lot. And they invited us to come to an event called Baby's First Christmas, which was hosted by the pastor and his wife at their home. Oh, and so we have, got, we have pictures of the, this child's first Christmas with a pastor and with their Sunday school teachers. And that was a special time. About two years ago, I did a survey among foster and adoptive parents and asked them, what are some ways that the church could help you or has helped you. They told me these things. I'll just tell you the way they wrote them. One mom said, when our former foster twins were in and out of the hospital, just having someone bring me a Chick-fil-A drink made me feel less alone in the hospital. Wow. Another one said, dropping off immediate essentials for children when we receive a placement has been a huge blessing, and also meals. Children come sometimes with trauma, or you don't know what you're going to be expecting or what their needs are going to be, so it's nice not to have to worry about preparing a meal and be able to have a little extra time. She said sometimes having a foster baby or child is stressful, awkward. It's uncharted territory with each new placement. So a support in the way of food or babysitting or play dates or someone to talk to 
is really needed. And then another one said, act like it's normal for families to show up at church with extra kids. That is a great suggestion. And don't point them out or make unusual comments about them or say, oh, is this your new foster child in front of them? Yes. Although they know their story. Yes. But just act like it's not unusual, but welcome them. Try to make the kids, and especially if they're teenagers, feel welcome. One mom said that her friend made pacifier clips for foster babies, and they gave their baby a blanket that she had made. And she brought cookies and meals. And so this foster mom said she had never noticed this need before until she had the need herself. And so she was glad that person thought to do that. Those are great suggestions. Um, And one said, if you're a nurse or other medical professional, offer to watch a child with medical needs. It might not be a diagnosis that you're used to, but the parent is the expert and can teach you. And you'll probably understand the equipment much more easily than someone who's not a medical professional. So sometimes if they have someone trusted who they could just ask to come and help. Also, one mom said, I'd love to see churches get teams together. They'd have to get a background check, but once a month, go pick up the older kids in a shelter or in a home for outings or skills workshops, teach them how to play tennis or take them fishing. Another one said, I'd love to see women's groups take three or four girls and mentor them in hygiene or makeup or modesty or frugal shopping skills, life skills, just basic life skills. Aren't those great suggestions? Those are great, great ideas. I remember hearing Paul Chitwood and his wife. Uh, Paul is the president of the International Mission Board and his wife, they're adoptive parents. And I remember her talking about build a relationship with your Baptist children's home. And she talked about, I would love to go home Sunday after church and take a nap. But she's befriended a child at the children's home, and she said, I know if I don't go see that child at the children's home, that child will have no other visitors. And so I go on Sunday afternoon, and I thought, what a commitment. Those are the type of things that we need to be doing. I can tell you what a foster parent did for us. We're adoptive parents, and Hannah was in foster care for 14 days. But when we adopted Hannah, the foster mother gave me a scrapbook of pictures because she said, I didn't want you to miss one moment of Hannah's life. And I just remember what an incredible gift that was. And I also thought, you've had a newborn for 14 days. How did you find time to take pictures and make a scrapbook? Foster parents, it is a special calling. And it really is a calling. I don't think that people could do it if it wasn't. One thing that has helped me to know is that it is a calling, but it it doesn't mean that it has to be a calling for your entire life. You know, some people are foster parents for just a few years and some for a long time. I have some friends here who have been fostering for about 30 years. And someone asked them, how many children have you had in your home? They said, well, we used to keep a list numbered, but when it got to 125, we stopped counting. Wow. But then, like myself or other people, we might just 
do a few years. Now, what I do, because I'm old now, (laughs) I've noticed that my energy levels are different than they were 30 years ago or even five years ago. (laughs) So now I'm no longer licensed, but I can assist other foster families or adoptive families and keep children for a certain number of hours without having to be licensed. Or I watch for needs, and if I can get them something or do something for them, it just takes being aware. What an incredible ministry. Well, I think that it's a ministry of a village. (laughs) It's a ministry of many people, and it's definitely changed my life in a good way and brought some unexpected things that I would have never dreamed for myself. So it's been a a great journey, and I'm still on it. I'm really glad to have the opportunity to do it. Well, and I'm glad for you to have the opportunity to share with us because your story is encouraging. And I've already thought of so many things that I could be, that I should be doing to help foster parents in my own area. Well, there are many opportunities, and some are small and some are large, some are long-term and some are short-term. I believe that everybody is capable of helping in some way. Even if people can't foster or adopt or even keep children or maybe buy things for children, the probably most important thing that people can do is pray. And now that, you know, when we're aware of the needs, I believe there are some ways to pray that are helpful. Diane, as we think about closing out this podcast, what are some ways that we can pray for foster parents? I think that's the most important thing that anybody could do. And There are five things, I think, that just in general pray for foster parents and children. Number one, I think pray for children who are coming into foster care right at this very moment because there are over 400,000 children in foster care in the United States at any given day, approximately. Tell us that number again. 400,000. 400,000. Here in Pulaski County in the Little Rock area in Arkansas, last month in May, There were over 600 children in foster care just in this one county. So there's always going to be some child who's just coming into foster care. So pray for them. And then secondly, pray that children can remain in foster care for as short a time as is safely possible. It's a good word. And then pray for the caseworkers and the judges and others who have the authority to decide the child's future. Yes. From a system that's overwhelmed. Yes, it is. It sure is. And pray for teenagers who have aged out of the foster care system at age 18. There's between 20,000 and 30,000 teenagers who age out of the foster system every year. Sometimes they don't have a home to go to. There are some organizations that help, but not enough. So they need to be prayed for. Also, pray that churches would lead the charge to help children and foster families and help the organizations and the individuals that work with the children. That is a good word. Diane, what year did you start in Arkansas? You may have said this already. Uh, 1993. 1993. Back then, I was on the Arkansas Baptist State Convention staff, and when a new staff member came, it was their privilege to speak in chapel when they first arrived. And I remember what you said in chapel, even though that was, how many years ago? That's almost 
almost 30 years ago. (laughs) Yes, really close. You said, if I could be known for anything, I would want to be known as a person of prayer. Do you remember that? Yes. I have always remembered how important prayer was to you personally. I think that would be a good place for us to end the podcast, to focus on praying for foster parents. I'm so grateful that you would spend time with me this afternoon and share your personal journey. I knew about Lynn. I had no idea about all the other connections with foster children. And so I've just enjoyed getting to know you and your journey a little bit better. Well, thank you so much. It's really a privilege to get to share with you about this. When faced with the needs of children, doing nothing wasn't an option for Diane. Could God be leading you to minister to hurting children? You can make an immediate and an eternal difference for children. Contact your Baptist Children's Home or another ministry and see how you might help. To learn more about WMU's Compassion Ministries, visit WMU.com and click on Compassion Ministries. Thank you for joining us for On the Journey Conversations.